five. Hallelujah. Grab your Bibles, guys. It's going to be a fun night tonight. I'm going to rearrange just for a moment. Grab your Bibles. I'm going to tell you two places to turn to. John chapter 1 and Matthew 12. John chapter 1 and Matthew 12. And while you're doing that, let me just welcome you all. You look lovely today. So proud of us for being here together. Thank you. Vaco's going to help me rearrange as well. Thank you, brother. And uh, we're, we're blessed with our, our worship team. We're blessed with our camera crew. We're blessed with our, our sound and lights. We're blessed with the folks in the, in, the, uh, in the control room. Thank you so much back there. We know you're back there, Petra and Mario and, and the other part, Rachel, other, others of you on the team. So just welcome to King of Kings Community Jerusalem. Welcome everybody watching online as well tonight from around the world. We bless you, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, and YouTube, and all those great platforms. Welcome to Jerusalem. We're excited about the Word of God tonight. We welcome you with a Chag Sameach, right? It's still Hanukkah. You can see the Hanukkah is on this, the Bema, the stage here. We'll light it at the end of the service tonight as we begin our last night of Hanukkah. So thank you, and, and thank you for the team that does the video announcements. We surely appreciate them. The bloopers are always requested. So thank you guys for enjoying the bloopers, but it has, uh, it, it has a negative effect sometimes when we show bloopers because then our volunteer pool goes down for people that, that want to volunteer to do the blooper reel. They're like, look, if you're going to put me on bloopers, I don't want to do it. You know, Hey, we're gentle, right? We're very respectful. I actually make sure I get a look at those and edit those. They edit it and they show it to me and I'm like, okay, make sure. I don't think anybody's going to get offended. Did everybody sign off on this? Is everybody okay with what they did? So we're good. Nobody was offended, right? Amen? Just all in fun. But listen, if you want to volunteer, we need some volunteers. You heard the announcement about the children's ministry relaunching and we need some help with that. So talk to LT and and sign up with that and be part of the media team, maybe uh, part of the youth program or, or serve in the Mana Kitchen, lots of ways. So blessings to you and thank you to that team and everyone else serving as well. Well, let's get into the word of God tonight. We're in John chapter one and Matthew 12. Let me just begin first of all with a few thoughts on Hanukkah that will lead into our main text. So, of course, you know that Hanukkah is the feast of dedication. That's where the word comes from. It's also the festival of lights. It's not a commanded festival of the Lord, but it is a biblically supported and written about festival. And as I taught last Sunday, if you missed that sermon, catch it on archive. But as I taught last Sunday, you might remember that it was at Hanukkah in the temple that Yeshua was proclaiming to be the Messiah. So it's a very important day for us that its, its origins are godly, it's, it's a holy day, it, it comes from good origins. It's not like some holidays where you're not sure about the origins. This one has a great origin. It's mentioned in the word of God. Yeshua was participating in it. If you want to find a little bit more detail about the story of Hanukkah, it's in the book of the Maccabees. There's four books of the Maccabees. It's in book number two and three in selected passages. It talks about how we had victory over our, our enemies, cleansing and rededication of the temple. We know it's in the wintertime. The Bible says that. But what's interesting about it being in the wintertime is that in Israel, this is the time of the year where the days are shortest and the nights are the longest right now. Isn't that an interesting time for the Lord to give us the festival of lights when we're in the middle of the darkest part of the year? 
If you have ears to hear in a prophetic sense, maybe you, you sense something was important with that. Maybe you sense that in the darkest times, Yeshua is the light of the world. Amen? So I think that, that holiday gives us a lot of material to meditate on. It also carries with it the theme, for the Jewish people at least, it's a theme of no longer being passive. You notice that the Hanukkah story, if you were to read more on it, you're going to find out that the people of Israel had been kind of beaten down and, and beaten back. And at some point, there, there was a family, a military family called the Maccabees. And, they, and they, they, they couldn't take it anymore what was happening to the people of God. They couldn't take it anymore what was happening to the temple of God and the desecration of the temple. And so that holy, righteous indignation rose up and they said, listen, we can't be passive anymore. And that may be a word for us tonight, guys. Where we're headed in this dark world, it might just be the time to hear this word. This is no longer the time for the believers to be passive anymore. Amen. John 1, starting in verse 1. Speaking of light, in the beginning was the word Yeshua. The word was with God and the word Yeshua was God. He was in the beginning with God and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made and in him is life and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not comprehended it. Some of your Bibles may say darkness has not overcome it. Well, it comes from a Greek word, and that particular Greek word of not overcoming it or not comprehending it means to perceive or overtake someone. So what it means is there was light that came into a dark place, but the people of the world, they didn't perceive it. They didn't embrace it. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand what this light was. And as the world grows darker, as the world unfortunately is growing further away from God, we're wondering, not only is the world not recognized the light that was given, but does the world even recognize darkness anymore? Because you know that's one of the newest tactics of the evil one to make us think that there's no longer boundaries, there's no longer definitions, there's no longer sin and evil and darkness. Those things don't exist anymore, by the way, if you're listening to the modern culture. It used to be that Satan would tempt you between right and wrong. He would just make, he would just make evil look good so that we might choose that temptation. But the tactic today is to make us think that evil doesn't even exist. Darkness, sin doesn't even exist. That's a made up thing. There's no such thing as moral ethics and values. There's no such thing. It's all relative. It's what you feel. It's what you perceive. And so he's just kind of gotten rid of that whole battle of the flesh of good versus evil. Oh, that's too hard. I don't want to win that one. Let's go over here and play a different game where darkness doesn't even exist. You know, the evil one, is, he knows it's a lot easier to beat somebody if they don't know they're fighting. It's easier for the, the devil's army to be victorious if the other army doesn't even know they're fighting. And I think that's really the message of Yeshua and Hanukkah, really the Maccabees as well, is there was a time where passivity was gone. There was a time where it was no longer the right thing to be passive. And I want to look into that a little bit tonight. 
Continuing in John 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Proverbs 4, 19 even kind of underscores this finally. And it says, by the way of the wicked, it is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. The whole idea that we can just do away with anything that we perceive as sin and evil and darkness. Let's just do away with that. That doesn't exist anymore. Only thing that matters is what you think and what you feel and what you define today. You get to define the day. You get to define everything according to what you want. And the enemy has people right where he wants them in the sense that it's much easier to fight someone who's not fighting. Well, let's look at our main text tonight, Matthew chapter 12. And I've entitled tonight's message, we're going to stay in the perspective series, but I've entitled tonight's message, Having an Agenda. Having an Agenda. And the agenda I want you to see is Yeshua's agenda and how we can tap into that. And as you're looking at Matthew chapter 12, you might notice early in the chapter The Lord has been teaching about the Sabbath and how he's greater than the Sabbath and he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he's greater than the temple and he's greater than the prophets and he's greater than the kings. He's been teaching with great authority and people are taking notice. He's been healing people. He healed the crippled man's hand and what must have been a shock, this time he didn't heal the crippled man outside in the marketplace. He actually went into the synagogue and healed him there. You say, why is that a big deal? Because he invaded space. That's not passive. It's not passive when Yeshua goes into the synagogue and says, I'm bringing my power and my authority into your place. That's the conquering side of Yeshua. So he heals the crippled man in the synagogue. He starts talking about, I forgive sin. Whoa. He's just crossed all kind of lines with this whole talk about forgiveness of sins. Three different times the religious leaders tried to stone him or kill him. He was in the Galilee area healing many people. The concept that Yeshua kept conquering new territory right in front of the people of Israel is astounding everyone. He's teaching truth with authority. He's loving others more than himself. He's feeding the poor. He's doing miracles. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He is successfully verbally sparring with the religious leaders, and he's winning right in front of all of the people. He's stripping away man-made laws, and he's infusing hope and freedom and power and favor to the people of Israel. You see what he's doing here. The people of Israel were finally beginning to feel hopeful and free again. They were feeling empowered and inspired by his messages. That's why thousands upon thousands came to listen to him. Remember, the the feeding of the 5,000 is only men. It doesn't count women and children. Most of them were probably married. Israeli families tend to have a lot of children. We've talked about that before. That could have been 20,000, 30,000 people that he fed. He had inspired people. He had brought hope and freedom to their minds, to their spirits. He had said to them, there's a way into the kingdom of God. And people were beginning to feel this. 
As a matter of fact, Yeshua was able to bring to the Jewish people what they knew to be true. They had just forgotten about it. There's an old movie. The word old is quite relative to your particular age. Right? It's not frozen. That's pretty new. Frozen 2, you know. This one's a little bit older. But in this particular movie, I always found a humorous line in the movie. And I'm not going to tell you what the movie is. But there's a guy who meets this girl and he wants to go a little further and she's not sure because it's too fast. And she says, is there anything else that you want to tell me? And he's, and he's trying to think about good, something good and, and intelligent and romantic to say, but he can't come up with anything. And he, and he says, well, you're everything... I never knew that I always wanted. You're everything I never knew I always wanted. And I felt like that's the people of Israel in Yeshua's day. They're like, you're everything we didn't know we needed, but we kind of knew we did. And we were putting up with the religious cycle here in Israel because we'd forgotten what the kingdom of God was really about, but you reminded us of that. And Yeshua, you're everything we never knew we always wanted. If you know the movie, text it to me. Put it in the chat field. Let's see if you can guess that movie. He had brought light into a dark world. And now that the people could see again, they were curious about what other areas that Yeshua had taken authority over. He had taken authority over sickness. He had taken authority over teaching. He had taken authority over the physical realm of producing food when there wasn't food and walking on water. He was taking new authority and the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scribes, they didn't know what to do. He's the one taking all this new territory. They're losing ground. Let me give you the first key phrase of the night. Even as Hanukkah, the festival of lights, comes during the darkest part of the year, so Yeshua will return and be the light of the world in the world's darkest hour. That's what's happening. Darkness is going one way. Look, I'm gonna use a little illustration from the Hanukkah. Darkness is headed one direction. And as Pastor Ray said, we know the shamash, the, the candle that represents Yeshua, the servant candle, is lit first. And then that servant candle lights all the other ones. The light of the world is coming. That's why the Bible calls us also the light of the world. Because we get lit by Yeshua. And the time to be passive is gone. Now let's get into our main text tonight, Matthew chapter 12. They had learned so many things so far about Yeshua. The crowds were following him. They couldn't wait to see what he would do next and what he would say next and who he might offend next. He has authority over the wind and the waves, over nature itself. As a matter of fact, he had done so many miraculous, unbelievable things that everybody in Israel was buzzing about him. John 21, 25 says this. 
And there were also many other things which Yeshua did, the which if they should be written, every one of them, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written about him. We just get a couple of good stories in the Bible. The whole world could not contain how much was going on and how much he was doing every day. I don't want you to think that, that he would heal the blind person and then like a month later he would do something else great. This was every day it was happening. And the disciples probably couldn't wait to get up and say, what is he going to do today? Like you can't even guess the stuff he's about to do. Because he's already done so many things we couldn't guess before. He's already broken the mold. We don't even know what to anticipate anymore. What else would they see if they stayed close to him? Maybe this is a challenge for us today. Let's jump into the main text. This is Matthew 12, verse 22 and 23. Then they brought him, that's the disciples, they brought him, Yeshua. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Yeshua healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Now, Oftentimes, the gospel writers are all there. They write the same story from different perspectives, and Mark gives a few additional pieces of information here. Same story, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Then Yeshua entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and the disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Yeshua's family shows up this time. This is new. We haven't been reading about this part lately in the perspective series. His brothers were there. They, of course, don't believe in him yet. So if you know the, the timeline of the brothers of Yeshua, before James becomes the head of the Jerusalem community, and he becomes kind of the head apostle in Jerusalem, before that, James doesn't even believe in Yeshua. There was a transaction that happened. It's written in one of the Gospels that when Yeshua rises from the dead, he talks to the disciples, and it says, and he later went to talk to James alone. I think he gave him the, the marching orders at that point. You know what I mean? Like, hey, James, I know you didn't believe in me, and according to this verse, you said, you know Yeshua brings that stuff back up, right? <laughs> hey, James, according to what you said, I've got it written down right here, you thought I was out of my mind, that I should be silent, and you came to take charge of me. So James, I'm alive now after being crucified. What do you think? James probably said, son of David, have mercy on me. He said, thank you for saying that. I, I received that, that offer of repentance. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go lead the congregation in Jerusalem right? The heart of God toward his brothers. But at this point, the brothers are not in that place yet. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. And then a religious leader over here says, yeah, and he's, he's, he's full of demons. He's, he's got Beelzebub. And the brothers are like, yeah, see? Matthew adds later in verse 46 of chapter 12, while Yeshua was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. So Miriam's there. 
Okay, so we have the disciples. We have the, 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 the blind and the, the mute man full of demons. He's there. The religious leaders are there. Mom is there. The demons are there, obviously. The demon-possessed man. A lot of things are going on in this story. So the disciples bring this man to Yeshua. And as far as I can count, he has at least three things blocking him from his God-created destiny. At least three things. Number one, he's blind, so he can't see. Number two, he's mute, so he can't talk. And number three, he's full of demons. Apparently that was confirmed by Yeshua himself. Three different ways he was being blocked from his God-created destiny. Perhaps he could hear, because that when, his, when his tongue was set free, he was able to speak. So he must have been able to hear, otherwise you wouldn't know how to speak, right? You follow that train of thought, right? You wouldn't know how to speak if you never heard anything. I've often wondered why Yeshua was so motivated to heal blind people. You ever notice the healing that takes place the most in the Bible? Healing the blind? You know, it doesn't get the, it doesn't get the biggest commercial. That's going to be raising the debt, right? That's going to get top billing. It's the prize fight. And then there's other miracles, the feeding of the thousands. That one gets a lot of attention too. But he heals the blind at least eight times. And I've often wondered, why do you go to that? Why is that the one, Lord, that you that you seem to want to do the most or you did the most or at least was recorded the most. Healing of the blind. Why did he want people to have physical sight? Because I believe that physical sight is a symbolic miracle of bringing light into a dark place. And that was his calling. I'm the light of the world. I'm coming to bring light in a dark place. Hanukkah, light in the darkest part of the season. The return of Yeshua the light in the darkest age. I think he wanted us to get something there on a prophetic level. It's the healing of the blind so that light can come into a dark place. And it's just a physical prophetic manifestation of that. He wants to reveal clearly what people could not see or could not understand before. And I think he's doing that in front of the Pharisees so that they know what he's doing. I'm bringing revelation, truth, and light, and hope, and freedom to the people that you should have been bringing this to, and you didn't. And that's why the people said, why does he speak with such authority? So all of these different people are there, the disciples, Yeshua, the demon-possessed man, the demons themselves, the brothers, the crowd, the mother, they're all there. Let's pick it up in Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Yeshua knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? so then they will be your judges. You think that was a passive statement? That's one of the greatest statements in the Bible. 
If you think I'm driving out demons because I'm full of demons, then that doesn't make any sense. So first of all, he calls them on their very poor logic. He's insulting their intelligence to some level. Like, why would you even think that? That doesn't even make sense. And by the way, how are you driving demons out? And then, of course, silence hits the crowd. That's right. You're not driving them out. How are you feeding the 20, 30,000? Oh, that's right. You're not doing that. How are you raising the dead? Oh, that's right. You're not doing that. By what authority are you teaching? Oh, that's right. You don't have it. And that statement is a sharp, aggressive, offensive statement of Yeshua. Why? Because he's no longer going to let the religious leaders keep his people in bondage. The time of passivity was gone, just like the Maccabees. It was gone. We couldn't be passive anymore. We weren't going to get victory by being passive at that point. The Maccabees had to jump in with an army and start fighting. Yeshua did this right in front of the crowd of the Pharisees. And it's good that he did so that the words couldn't be twisted. There's no spin when you do it in front of everybody. There's no, oh, we wrote it down wrong. No, you didn't write that down wrong. That's exactly what he said. By what authority do you drive demons out? How are you guys doing it, Pharisees? Rabbi Shlomo, how's it working for you? Oh, you can't do it. Okay. So can we now move on to the important things about healing people and setting them free? You, you see, Yeshua, what he's doing is here's, he's, he's taking back the lead in the religious community, and they are so upset at this. The Pharisees continue to walk in jealousy. They cannot figure out what Yeshua is doing from day to day or how he's doing it or how he keeps conquering new territory. I mentioned before, he'd conquered the physical world. He walked on water. He fed people loaves and fishes. He had conquered the love world. He had conquered the forgiveness world. I forgive you of your sins. He'd been speaking with authority. He'd healed the sick. He'd conquer all those areas, and now he wants to take another territory. He wants to conquer the demons. And he keeps taking territory, and he keeps conquering, and they can't figure out how he's doing it. And they're just as shocked every day as the followers. What is this guy going to do today? But Yeshua kept doing it in front of people so that they couldn't spin it. They couldn't tell lies. It was in front of thousands of people. You ever notice why those little bitty Q words are in the Bible? There were so many people in the house that Yeshua and the disciples couldn't even eat. That's a clue word that there's a lot of people that eyewitness this, right? There's these little clue words in the Bible. And they come after him with a spirit of accusation. You're full of demons. And instead of giving praise to God and glory for signs and wonders, they want to blame Yeshua because of authority he has that they don't have. Isn't that an interesting concept? There's a demon-possessed man. He's not demon-possessed anymore. He was blind, and now he sees. He couldn't talk, and now he can. Where's the whole part about you're an amazing God? Amen. Their jealousy was so big and so deeply rooted, and they so much didn't want the agenda of the Messiah. They wanted people to stay in bondage so that when they were released from bondage, they couldn't even celebrate. And that's why Yeshua took the lead. That's why Yeshua got on the aggressive side and said, enough of you. 
you don't even give God glory when he does miracles. They attacked, they accused, they didn't even ask. You know that all they had to do with the humble heart is just ask the question humbly. Yeshua, we have no idea how you did that. Can you tell us how you did it? That's all they had to say. With an open heart, he would have explained it to them. But because they came at him with aggression and accusation, he shut them down. By whom do your people drive them out? This poorly organized reasoning he exposes in front of the people. Bringing us to our second key phrase of the night. Yeshua confronts people who attack others in arrogance, but he comforts those that are genuinely asking for help and answers. If you attack, he attacks back. If you attack the innocent, he won't stand for it. If we come with questions, he's open all day long. We have a little thing in our family just going to let you into our family, our competitive family. We love to compete on everything. They probably get that from their mom. Thank you. But we have this thing in our family where if, if there's like this, you know, person A says this fact and person B says, uh-uh, that ain't true. And now we have a fact battle, right? And somebody's about to pull up Google and ask. Come on, you know, you do that. We always, we always make them say, how sure are you? Because, you know, sometimes we come in real strong. No way, World War II didn't start then, it started here. No, it didn't, it started in this year. And then you got two people thinking they're right. You got that thing going on? How sure are you? And, and so we had to teach our kids. And so early on, our kids would, they would come all in, all in with, with you know, the confidence and the, the arrogance and the pride. I know, I know I'm right. Well, this one over here thinks he's right. We'd say, how sure are you? And when somebody was proven wrong, they heard about it from the whole family. Because when you come in with arrogance, we're gonna let you know about it. So it taught the children to come in a little bit more humbly. You know, oh no, World War II this year. No, no, World War II this year. How sure are you? Uh, I'm not as sure, not so sure. They start backing off of the, the pride. Uh, you know, they, and then they start giving me numbers. Uh, I'm 50% sure. 50, you're gonna come to the table with 50%? What are you, how sure are you? I'm only 40, I'm only 40% sure. I'm only 40% sure. It was a way for us to teach them humility. Same lesson Yeshua's trying to teach here. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are frustrated that they cannot predict what Yeshua will do next. They're always one step behind him. They're always reacting to what he's doing and they don't know what to do, so they just accuse. That's exactly what happens today. It's exactly what happens today. Watch the media. When they don't know what to do, they will accuse. It doesn't even matter of what. They're just gonna accuse you of something. It's been the enemy's tactic forever and ever. That's why he's called the what of the brethren? Accuser of the brethren. Don't be like that. Don't be an accuser. If you're not sure, just ask. It's the humble thing to do. It's the right attitude to have. But friends, tonight Yeshua has an agenda. He has a purpose. He is very focused. Far too long have we seen the evil 
that it constantly has an agenda. John 8, 28. So Yeshua said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. That means Yeshua has an agenda. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He lives every day with a great purpose, and so should you. So should we. The idea that we can be passive anymore is gone. That's, that day is gone. I don't know when you thought you had it, but you don't have it anymore. Because evil has a plan, and they think about it all the time. The devil doesn't rest. He has this round table. This is in my mind. He's got this round table where the, the most grotesque thinkers are. And they come up with new sins every day and new ways to tempt and to lie and to twist. And they have a plan. And then they, they send out their, their hordes to go deceive everyone. That's why when we're saved, we're handed a sword. You say yes to Yeshua. Here's your sword. Well, no, no, I didn't want that part. I, I thought it was a kind of a peace gospel. I came in to get blessing. That, well, then you didn't hear the right gospel. Because the gospel comes with a sword, and it comes with armor, and the Bible says we are not going to be outwitted by the enemy's schemes. We're not going to be outwitted by his strategies. That means you're in the middle of a war. Yeshua knows it. That's why Yeshua's aggressive. You say, no, no, Yeshua's passive because he let himself be crucified. Yes, at the moment of salvation, he let himself be crucified. But when he's teaching and he's standing up against the Pharisees, he's aggressive. So was John. John was not passive either. Brood of vipers. Yeshua, what does he call them later? Whitewashed tombs. You think that's passive? He's aggressive. He's loving. He's gentle. He's sacrificial, but when it comes to religious leaders and evil trying to keep people captive, he's no longer passive. He's aggressive. And friends, we don't simply fight by wanting to protect what we have. That's not fighting. Yeshua takes territory. He doesn't just protect territory. The whole idea that if I, could just wait, if I could just wake up today and have everybody say something nice about me, if anybody, if I could just have someone not say something mean to me today, if I could just get through the day without somebody offending me is my goal. If I could get through the day without having any pain, any challenges or any suffering, then that's a good day. You see, that, that's become the mentality of the modern believer, if I could just get through the day without suffering anything, that's a great day. Now, you didn't take any territory in that day. You know, our life is not about self-protection. Yeshua exampled that. That's not what life is about. And just as he is the light of the world and he has an agenda, so we become the light of the world through him and we should have an agenda. John 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We have an agenda and it's time we get to it. All of us together. You know, there's a time where you tweak things and you say, 
Oh, man, King of Kings, I wish the lights were a little different. You guys, I don't know why. What's up with the blue and the purple? It's not my style. And all the music, it was a little too loud. If you guys could bring that down. And children's program, why is it taking, you know, how come we can't have it now instead of three weeks from now? And you can, you can tweak and nitpick and, oh, the greeters, you know, I didn't, I didn't like their little name tags. You guys need to change that. Listen, we can nitpick all day long better songs, different sound, different classes. Oh, I don't like the small groups. Somebody needs to do a better small group. Great. Who's getting saved in that conversation? Who's getting healed in that conversation? Who's getting delivered from demons in that conversation? And I don't mind that we want to improve everything. Of course we do because he's worthy of excellence. But who's getting saved through it? So let's major on the majors and minor on the minors. Because that's what he did. When the Pharisees tried to knock him off course, he wouldn't have it. By what authority do you drive out demons? Because they tried to get him on a different conversation. He was like, nope, I'm focused. And we have to have an agenda just like him. His ministry is highly effective because of the confrontations continue to happen in public so no one can lie or change the story. I'll give you one more verse tonight and then we'll summarize. Matthew 12, main text. 12, 38, and 39. Listen to the, watch him just shut them down. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Do you see what they tried to do? They tried to take the reins back. They tried to take the steering wheel back. They said, we don't understand the, the whole, how you did the demon thing and how you did the healing thing and how you did the feeding thing and how you did the raising of the dead thing. We don't understand that stuff. So we accuse you. Well, you, you shut us down on that, so we got to come up with another strategy. So here, we decided we're going to demand, did you get it? The Pharisees are going to demand Yeshua. Really? We're going to demand that you give us a sign. And he's not going to play that game. He's like, I'm not giving you a sign. Why? Because you're a wicked and adulterous generation. Passive? No. Wait, did he just say, what? What did he say? We're the wicked and adulterous generation? Yeah, that's what he just said. Yeshua has an agenda. And we need to have the same agenda to do the will of the Father, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to teach the truth, to love God with all of our heart, and to love our neighbor more than ourselves. To focus on the major parts of the kingdom, which are bringing people out of hell's fire into the kingdom of God. Healing the sick, casting out demons. Focus on these things, friends. It's a childhood lesson I learned from my childhood pastor. He preached a sermon over and over called Major on the Majors and Minor on the Minors. Because that's how Yeshua lived. Let's summarize. In the story, the perspectives, everybody that was there. Who are we in the story tonight? Are we Yeshua? Are we living with purpose? Do we have an offensive agenda that goes out and it takes control? It takes new territory from the evil one led by the Spirit? Are we the disciples? Are we learning new things every day? Are we anticipating the next great thing he'll do in faith? Or maybe we feel like the demon-possessed, blind and mute man, that we're helpless and we're trapped and we don't know what to do. Maybe we're the demons themselves. 
Demons have a history of reacting to Yeshua's authority and fighting against the very thing that they already know has ultimate authority in the universe. They still know and they still fight against him. Let that not be us tonight. Maybe we identify more with the brothers, that we walk in unbelief. There's no way he could be who he says he is. Well, the answer is he is who he says he is. Or maybe we're like the mother, Miriam. We know the truth deep in our spirit, and yet we're still struggling to put all of the puzzle pieces together. How do they fit? Mary was a woman of faith. She knew the truth. She just didn't know how it all fit. Remember, at the wedding with the water and the wine, she just said, listen, whatever he says, do, do that. Woman of faith. But she's struggling to find how the pieces fit. Are we in the crowd? Are we speaking in a positive way about Yeshua? Are we trying to grow closer to him? Are we pushing through to get closer? Is our mind and our spirit open to the possibility of Yeshua being exactly who he says he is and the fact that he says we are his children, that that's true also? Are we the Pharisees? That we bring open accusation against God. God, you didn't do what I wanted, so I'm mad at you. Are we that? Are we the teachers of the law who even though miracles are being done right in front of us, we refuse to acknowledge them because we are so jealous at somebody else? It's a lot of ways to look at this perspective of this particular story. And you'll find yourself somewhere in there or a mixture of many. But what I want to leave you with tonight is this. Yeshua had an agenda. He had purpose. He was aggressive. And we don't take territory from the evil one by being passive anymore. By being self-protected, this is not how Yeshua died on the cross. Watch. That's a self-protected position. Yeshua defeated hell and death in this position. Open. However his arms were, some think it was here, some think it was here, some think it was here. I go for all of it, whatever. The idea was arms were open. You want to hurt me? Hurt me. You want to say evil about me? Say evil about me. Because while you deal with that petty business, I'm busy with the business of the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you that you have called us for such a time as this. As the world goes to its darkest age, your light will shine brighter than ever and you will light us on fire that we may also be joined with you in being the light of the world. Forgive us of passivity. Forgive us of an unhealthy measure of self-protection, self-focus. Forgive us for minoring on things that should be our major focus. And in the opposite, we've majored on things that should only have a, a minor focus. Forgive us for holding grudges. Forgive us, Lord, for speaking against others. All of the while, just playing into the tricks of the devil. Forgive us. Let us get back to the focused effort of doing the will of the Father. We thank you that you're patient with us and that you empower us. We are inspired tonight by your word. Thank you, Yeshua. We love you tonight. Amen. Amen.